Community. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with Jesse Hubbard. Yeah, that's a great question. The first show that I ever went to was a meaningful show um, because I, I, growing up, music was always such a large um influence on me because my parents were always playing their with their records and and you know we were we would watch concerts on tv the first show that i ever went to i was probably six or seven years old it was the temptations oh wow obviously not the original you know it was it was the version of at the time in the 80s yeah and that was special because we would always watch the the Motown shows on TV and the Christmas shows were huge, you know, and you get Smokey Robinson come out and the Temptations and, you know, all these, all these legendary uh, artists that were a part of that movement or, or influenced by it. And I still, I think that's pretty cool. You know, I, I, I have a lot of love for that music still and in my record collection, yeah. but to see the Temptations as my first ever show, like that's kind of a badge of honor, right? That's right. That's right. Blood, sweat and tears for me. Uh, yeah. ca- almost in the same genre you know, roughly it's not Motown but they were kind of peers you know yeah. but you know, getting into it when you're a teenager and inevitably that first rock show or that first punk show comes up what was your first the first so I went through um, a heavy phase of also being into metal yes um, so I, I grew up in the punk scene very much so but I also it overlapped and they say you can only like one or the other and ultimately that seemed to be the case for me but there was a period of time whenever I was really into a lot of the hardcore bands that it, it kind of meshed over uh, uh, with the, the Ozfest uh, yeah. show that took place, the tour that took place every year. So it was in the 90s. That was the first concert that I ever went to on my own was Ozfest. Uh, 99, I want to oh, wow. say. Like with my own money that I, you know, a pizza delivery job and my own money that went. And so... It was that, and then immediately followed by the Misfits. Oh, wow. Who was singing with them then? Michael Graves okay. at the time. Yeah. Put on a great show still. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, you got to see Jerry, you got to see Doyle, yeah. who were part of the original, the original crew. And then Michael Graves, you know, he's not Danzig, but he, in his own right, he had a couple really influential albums on me when I was a teenager because that's what I was growing up with. Yeah. And he's a great vocalist. Hold on. He's well, a weird guy. He's a great vocalist. I, sure. Well, the, all singers are weird. <laughs> you know? I think maybe like there's just a few, like Bruce Springsteen, which we'll talk about. He doesn't seem weird to me. He seems yeah. like a normal blue collared guy, which of course he is not. But the, the image still stands up. And I know it, it does. It works. It, it still works. But Danzig, what the hell happened to Danzig? 
so the interesting thing about Danzig is that he broke, he essentially broke up the band, um, you know, right. And then he just started doing all, you know, uh, his solo stuff and all these side projects and, and it, growing up, and like I said, I was, it was the Graves era. It was the Michael Graves era. And I thought to myself, cause I'm originally from New Jersey as well, which are all these guys are from. And yeah. so there's, that, there's a connection, you know, you love Springsteen, you love the misfits, you love Sinatra. <laughs> you know what I mean? Growing <laughs> up, you gotta, you gotta have a love for all of it. Yeah. And I always thought someday I'll get to see, I'll get to see Glenn Danzig, you know, front the misfits. That's, that was my bucket list concert. Mm-hmm. And then at riot fest, probably, I don't know if it was three or four years ago. Um, long after I was, you know, out of the misfits phase of my life, but I still was nostalgic for them. They, they got back together and it was Danzig. It was Jerry. It was Doyle. Do you remember this when they did a mm-hmm. few shows? Mm-hmm. They did like one in Newark, one in Madison Square Garden. I think one somewhere out west. But Man, the first I can't one, believe you're right. I, that just occurred because it was only like two or three shows, right? Very, very few. And they plan on doing a few more. And then, you know, COVID hit and that whole thing. But um, it was very sporadic and they would just do a few here and there. And this was the first one. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm finally wow. going to get to see. I'm going to get to see the Misfits, the original Misfits, who broke up when I was two years old. You know, I, I, I never thought this would happen. And first of all, to set the stage at Riot Fest, it's a, if you're not familiar, for anybody listening, it's this big music festival that takes place uh, in Chicago every year. It started off in the clubs and it expanded into this huge outdoor festival with probably hundreds of thousands of people that go for the weekend. So right out of the gate, it's the biggest show that the Misfits have ever played. Yeah. And it was just all wrong from the start. Um, it, it, it was everything that I hoped that it wouldn't be because Danzig, on that particular day, I don't know about in general, his pipes were gone. He could oh, not hit no. the notes. There were some technical difficulties, which was not their fault. And they're playing in front of probably 100,000 people. It's all wrong. It's everything that's wrong from a Misfit show. So I'm listening to it. And I'm trying to get into it. But I'm with my wife, so we're not going to get up in the pit. Yeah. Um, I didn't want, I would never feel comfortable when, you know, with her being up in that, because I knew it would be dangerous. Yeah. So we're back a little bit. And it's just weird. I've never been to a Misfit show where you weren't right up on the rail. That's what you do. You get down and you get into it, right? Yeah. So we're listening to it and they're, they're playing, you know, all, they're playing all the stuff. They're playing Attitude. They're playing, you know, Hybrid Theory, all these songs that I grew up on. But it just is, it's not good. It's, the, the music was great. You know, Doyle's guitar sounded great. Um, you know, Jerry sounded great with, with his bass, but the mu- it just did not sound good. And about 30 minutes into it, my wife looks at me with this, this look on her face, you know, kind of cringing. She says, are you enjoying this? And I said to her, no, <laughs> I'm not. Oh. Um, do you want to get out of here? <laughs> like, let's, let's go hit the road early and go to a bar or something by the hotel. And if you would have said to me growing up when I'm 14 years old, 15 years old, you know, uh, um, you're going to see the, the original Misfits and you're going to leave in the middle of the show because it's terrible. I never would have believed it. Oh, man. That's so hard. It was hard. And, you know, what really made it hard was right before it, another band that I love, Slater Kenny. Oh, yeah. Totally, totally different style of music, but equally influential for me. They were back together, you know, for, I mean, they weren't like broken up for a long time, but this was like yeah. their second tour. And we saw them perform right before the Misfits. And they were amazing. Incredible, were right? Yeah. They were flawless. So... You know, we're like, all right, well, it was a great day. Let's just get out of here. <laughs> Man, that's such a strange, it's a, it's a really tough thing. I, 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 knock on wood, all of the reunion shows I've seen have been spectacular. Refused, spectacular. Oh, Quick, right quicksand, on, 
spectacular. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Tears for Fears, Zeppelin, like it wasn't Zeppelin, but it was Page Point, like spectacular. But, I, you know, this thing is, because I grew up in Salt Lake City for a little bit, so I was straight edge for a little bit. And oh, straight edge stuff, no, no longer as I'm sipping some nice rare Eagle Rare from the early <laughs> 80s. But <laughs> we all evolve, you know, it's like teenage romance, you know, it's just kind of changes. But there is this ethos to punk this ethos to straight edges, which aren't, aren't really mutually exclusive. But so what is it about that fast, visceral, very dynamic and emotional music that you're drawn to in the first place? Because of course it has influenced you to work on a book, which we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, it was rebellious to start. It was authentic. It was something that wasn't like what was being played on the radio at the time when I was a teenager and I liked that about it. I felt like it was mine um, because there wasn't a lot, there was, there was a, a small group of guys that would hang out and, you know, and they'd smoke cigarettes and wear, you know, their no FX shirts or the misfit shirts or, you know, their black flag shirts, but there wasn't a lot. Yeah. And they were, you know, I was coming into the high school and I was a, I was a freshman and I, I was just, I had already discovered a lot of these, some of these bands um, that I was into, but, you know, I talk about it a little bit in the book, but it, the music that I that I that I loved didn't make me any more popular or cool with the general public of my high school. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was mine. You know, I, it was it was something that I discovered. Um, you know, going to the record store, like, all right, you like Pennywise? Check out Bad Religion. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like you like you like the Bouncing Souls. You know, check out whatever. You know, and it was just this really personal connection that I had with the music and the lyrics were all about being true to yourself and being who you are. Um, I never really bought into the idea that you had to dress a certain way, the punk uniform, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I haven't had a Mohawk or haven't had some studded belts in the past, but I don't think that you have to have that to be punk. Um, and a lot of these bands, you know, like the offspring or whatever, they dress like I dress, Mountain souls. Yeah. They dress like I dress, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Regular, true authentic guys playing music that was rebellious, but also fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just connected with it, you know? Yeah. It, it doesn't make you popular, but, and I, I say this and I won't be under fire for it, but there were those girls, the punk girls that just, that was the dreamy thing for me, you know, that they were just so the, the, oh, the yeah, t- not sure. tattoons, but like the, the dyed hair and stuff. So it was like definitely aesthetic in the eighties early nineties, especially. But mm-hmm. one of the things I, I kind of found interesting about your tale is, you know, you're growing up in Jersey, you moved to Oregon, you moved to Kentucky, you moved to Columbus, Columbus Ohio. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, you know, I did the same, but what was the impetus for moving around so much? So I was born in Jersey and spent part of my childhood growing up there and then went to high school in Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, my dad's from, my dad was from the Bronx. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then lived and then moved to Brooklyn shortly thereafter. Uh, my mom is from Ohio. Mm. So that was the connection between the two. Um, but how did they, it begs the question, how did they meet then from the Bronx my mom to moved Brooklyn? Out east. My dad was in Jersey. My mom moved out East after high school, uh, to work uh, for IBM, you know, oh, you yeah. move East for the job and, and they met and, um, and that's where they lived for quite a while. You know, my, myself and my brother were born and we were out there and ultimately we came back to Ohio. So my mom could be closer to, to her family when her mother was ill mm-hmm. and that, and that really kind of shaped that. And then the funny thing is, had I stayed out in Jersey, I probably would have found more like-minded individuals with the music that I was so into than I would have going to high school in Ohio. Yeah. Oh, in yeah. Rural Ohio. Um, 
where, you know, you really had to discover the music on your own with the zines, going to the record store, talking their ear off. You know, that was, that was the, the haven yeah. back in the day, right? But then to answer your question, I guess, um, in my adult life, uh, I wanted to have some adventures. Uh, I worked in radio once upon a time. Really? What'd you do for radio? Uh, I was a DJ at some stations. I was a producer at other stations. Uh, then I did some uh, promotional work. Uh, did that for about eight years. No kidding. Does, yeah, so do you have, you know, because it's so, so adjacent to live performance of music, do you play? Do you produce? Is there any kind of overlap there? I used to play. I mean, I still, I still play guitar. I used to play more than I do now yeah. and just like shitty punk music. <laughs> you know, I, that's, and that's part of the reason why I got in the radio. I was like, I'm, I'm never going to be able to make it, you know, I'm never going to be a musician. You know, I'm, I'm a musician, right. you know, but I'm not really a musician and I'm never going to go anywhere with it. So to work in radio and, you know, which inevitably took me out uh, back East in my adult life uh, to work for K-Rock uh, when oh, you worked for K-Rock? I did work for K-Rock, yeah. I New mean, York. for those of us that know, that's a big, big deal. It was it was cool. It was cool. I started off in the promotions department and uh, eventually got to produce some stuff and work my way up a little bit. And I'll never forget the first time that I was in. It was Opie and Anthony at the time, uh, but it was Howard Stern's old studio. And the first time I went live on the air in his old studio was a was a dream moment for me. You know, it wow. was, that was, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Uh, so that was my way into that world of music yeah. is to be able to do, to do that sort of work and, and rub elbows with a lot of people who I admired in the world of radio, in the world of, of, uh, of, of music in general. Uh, but there were certain personalities like, you remember Matt Penfield? I love Matt Penfield, man. Man, me too. And I mean, and, and he was with a rival station at the time. But I would see him fairly often out and about, and he was just the nicest guy. And to be able to see him and meet him and tell him that, hey, you're an inspiration for me, one of the reasons that I wanted to get in the radio. Um, if you don't know him, anybody listening, look him up. He, the guy was just, he was involved in everything back in the day. And he still is, but yeah, he, he was, was, he was he, ahead of his time. He, absolutely. And he was walking. I missed this. I was downtown a few years ago for South by catching shows during the day. And my friend came up to me. He's like, dude, Matt Penfield's just walking around. I'm like, what the fuck? And it was just like this incredible thing because he was just talking. And to your point, seems like such a level-headed, down-to-earth, nice guy, but knows everything about music, you know? Yeah. If you're a music fan, forget working in radio. If you're a music fan, you want to meet him. And he just wants to talk music. It's all he wants to do. Yeah. Cool as dude. It's crazy. That's um, so, so does that take you down to Oregon then too? Is that part of this radio journey? No, uh, at that point I'd gotten out when I was, I was working in New York and, and, and living in Jersey and commuting and I started bartending, uh, because it's, it's so damn expensive yeah. to, to make ends meet out there. And, you know, they don't pay you much to work in radio, especially in the large markets, because there's a line of people out the door willing to take your spot for the same price or cheaper. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved what I was doing. I was, you know, there's a romance to it, you know, struggling, make, trying to make it in the world of radio. And I started bartending on the side. Mm-hmm. And um, over the course of a few years, I started working in radio less. K-Rock no longer existed. It turned into a different format, top 40, not as ideal for what I wanted to do. You know, I went from being able to, to go see like Soundgarden, you know, uh, it, uh, you know, at Madison Square Garden or whatever to like, okay, now it's Britney Spears yeah. and not hating on her at all. But that was not the kind of music that I signed up for. Just you know, it wasn't a dream anymore. Yeah. Um, 
So eventually I started bartending more and more and more. And I started managing bars. And, and, and that's what took me out uh, to some of these different places, uh, Oregon, to Louisville. Um, mm-hmm. Just not because, hey, th- there's this need for me out there and I'm going out here for this job. It was me ex- kind of exploring and, and, and having these adventures and, and like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out there and I'm going to find a job. Yeah. And, and, I, and I did. And because, you know, it, it's, a, it's a trade where if you can bartend, it, like, there's much, much like many other things, you can go anywhere and really get a job doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took advantage of, you know, being in between relationships, being single at the time. And, and I wanted to explore the country a little bit. And, you know, um, and, and, I, and I did that, you know, before I settled down. It's, I mean, it's a great vehicle to do that. That sense of adventure, wanting to travel, redefine oneself in a new location. That's really, really kind of key. Do you still have a bit of that in the blood or do you feel like, now in Columbus, the book's out, married, have two dogs, I recall, that things yeah. are going to remain here. I mean, I, I think this is, this is where we're going to be. Um, I, I have very much a desire to explore and, and, and to go on those adventures, so to speak. I mean, I would love to you know, travel more, but as far as moving, I, I foresee us being here for quite a while. We really, really like it here. Um, my wife is from just outside of Detroit. So we're close to her family. My family is, you know, I have my mom's here in Ohio. My brother's here in Ohio. So it's a nice kind of central location and it's got everything that we want. It's a cool city. Yeah. Uh, well, I hear great things about it. It's cool. Yeah. It's, it's, we really like it a lot and, you know, food, drink, entertainment, you know, sports. It's, we got, you got it all here pretty much. Yeah. Well, you know, you're talking about your mom working at IBM. I find that over the past six years, just interviewing folks that that hospitality bug or in this case, it could be kind of a performance bug because I know people on radio and hearing your own voice and we can admit this together. It's kind of nice. We have to have a certain way we deliver words. Oh, most people are listening. And that there's something kind of cool about that because there's a performance element. But was your father in hospitality at all? This kind of drive to help other people to perform? What, what kind of stuff was he into? So what's cool about that is, and I didn't know this until later in his life, I did not know that he was. Oh, and he, told, he told me that he did bartend. So my dad worked on the, on the railroad. For, that was his career, mm-hmm. starting in, in uh, New York and then going Jersey, New York, D.C., doing that route, then out in Ohio, um, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, all that stuff. And everything from passenger trains, being the all-aboard guy, to doing um, freight trains, uh, engineer, conductor, everything in between. So I found out that years ago when I was just a little guy, uh, he was bartending while the railroad was on strike and he did it for quite a while. A buddy of his owned a bar and he, he really enjoyed it. And it was, you know, he said it was more slinging beers and shots and some simple drinks, but I think he was a little bit more skilled than what he liked to let on because, you know, he, he was talking, started talking about like Harvey Wallbangers, all these kind of drinks. (laughs) Um, but that it makes sense. And my dad was the life of the party. He was, he was always, you know, he's, my dad was Italian and, and he, he could just entertain a room full of people, mm. um, with his stories. And it was just, it was always cool to just, to just watch that. So I think I definitely get that from him. Um, I think it comes from some, we, we don't always think it comes from somewhere, but it comes yeah. from somewhere. It most definitely does. Yeah. You know, <laughs> do, do, do you like that now? Now being someone who probably a center of attention is the wrong phrase, but likes having an audience, maybe not going to desperately fight for one, but 
Sure. That was something we had before COVID, you know? Um, and yeah. And, and so why I say that is that, and I think you, y'all like us are kind of back open to some extent, but do you feel like that was really difficult to deal with? Not, let's not even talk about the financial aspects of it, but just not being able to socialize and have people to talk to and tell oh, and regale man. with stories. It was weird. It was, it was weird. Yeah. Um, that's a great question because it went from, you know, a hundred to zero overnight. Mm. I'm home and you can't really go anywhere. It was a year ago, right? Whenever everything's shut down here and you know, you go from every night you're engaged with people, you're behind the bar, you're telling stories, you're listening to stories. You, you have that back and forth and there's an energy to that, to that. And when you're behind the bar, you, you have to be on, you are a performer and an entertainer in a way. And that it just stopped and everything shut down. Mm-hmm. And it took a while to sort of, you know, I know not just for myself, but all of my, my peers in the industry here in, in Columbus and probably across the country, um, it, it takes a while to kind of come to terms with that, yeah. you know? Uh, so I tried to take advantage of it the best I could. I, I poured everything into uh, writing a book. Um, I started, which is, this is crazy, but, uh, a friend of, of mine and myself, we started an event company during COVID, uh, where we were trying to create these socially distant, safe events. And, uh, so we did that as well. Is that um, St. St. Russell's production? St. Russell productions. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, we do consulting, we do all that fun stuff. Uh, but we really focus on being an event company and, 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 and doing bar pop-ups and themed events and, you know, we got to thinking if we can do this and we can do it safe. And, you know, I'm proud to say, you know, knock on wood, uh, nobody has ever gotten sick at any of our events. That's something that we, you know, like we're very proud of that we have been able to enforce the social distance um, and try to be entertaining and have a good time for folks and, you know, really encourage people to, to come out and you're going to be safe yeah. and you don't have to worry about, you know, you don't have to worry about people not wearing their masks or some of these crazy stories that we see. Uh, out and about at some of these bars. Um, so we thought if we can do this during a time when everything is shut down and slowly starting to open, we can gain some momentum to when everything starts to open, people will have heard of us. Mm. And, you know, at least locally, and we can continue to do these events and maybe, in, you know, increase the amount of people that we can actually have out at these events because, you know, we're kind of stuck living in that certain, um, certain area of like, you know, X amount of people per space. Right. right. Where we do it. But, uh, yeah. Reduced overall. Like, yeah. So I, it, it was, it was weird to answer your question. You know, uh, it was really weird. It was difficult to come to terms with it, but I just tried to pull myself into these other projects to try to, I, because I can't sit still, um, <laughs> you know, I'm always, I'm always moving. I'm always trying to do something. I'm always drinking coffee. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> And right now I'm drinking coffee, as you can see. And it's four o'clock, Jesse. Come on. It's, it's whiskey. I've been, drinking coffee. I've been drinking coffee all day. I drink it all day, all night. You know, it's ridiculous. It's, you know, it's funny. I was reading an article years back in the Wall Street Journal. It was just a very, it was a cover. It wasn't editorial. It was a science article. And there was about 10 cups of coffee. And also it's funny because there's a Futurama episode for those of you who fried tries to drink 99 cups of coffee. Anyway, so, but that there's, it's also that. But, so one cup, great. Two cups, great. Three, nah, not so good. Four, not so good. Five, not so good. Six, great again. So it goes, it goes back up. It's the only thing. Drugs aren't like that. Boosters aren't like that. 
pizza is not like that. So coffee has got a real distinct advantage, I think, for us. It's a very unique experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're back. Six and we're back. <laughs> I'm back. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, the bartending piece makes sense in terms of liking to hear, liking to listen, to share stories, get stories, be on. Because, you know, when the camera's rolling or when that mic's hot, everything is on. But when it comes to cocktails, which you've chipped away a huge chunk of your career up to today, making cocktails, that's a little bit of a different thing. Mm -hmm. That is the combination of ingredients. It is execution. It's form. It's all these kinds of things. Understanding a flavor. But do you remember when you either had a cocktail or you crafted something, you're like, okay, now I kind of get this and I'm really going to double down on this. And it's, it's very simple and it's very basic, but the drink that got me into wanting to know how to make a good cocktail is the old fashioned. Mm. And this was, you know, during that time, whenever I was, it was, this was probably 08, 09, you know, it was, they were, they were really popular and hip again. And, uh, but you, you couldn't go to just, it was weird. It was a weird thing because you couldn't go to just any bar and have the bartender know how to make an old fashioned. Yeah. Even then it wasn't that, this is not that long ago. Um, because people weren't really buying them enough, I guess, but having a couple of those, a couple different bars, it really, it really turned me on to like, okay, this is a really good cocktail and it's really simple. What else could I make? And, Mm. you know, I I was, I started bartending a little bit and, um, it it really kind of set the tone for that and made me want to dive deeper into it and, and watch videos and, and, and read about it because, I was so nervous and so green behind the bar. I bartended a little bit in college, but not. It was more of just like beers and shots and stuff like that. It wasn't. Where'd you go to school, by the way? I went to school at OU. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Did you finish um, up, or did you? No, I, I I got a job in radio, and I I left early for that. So yeah. that was, that was kind of cool about it. Um, and that's something that I tend to be kind of. You know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because part of me wishes that I would have stayed, but I was going, I was going to get a job in radio and I had the opportunity. So I left to do that. And here I am today. I'm not doing anything at all related to what I went to school for. Right. So it's, it's, you know, like I would have paid more money, but I got some really good experience. So, you know, back and forth. Um, but it's kind of a, a badge of, of pride for me in a way. And like, yeah, I've carved out a successful niche for myself without having that, uh, that piece of paper, which is kind of cool. Um, that being said, you know, I would still encourage my children someday to, to go and, and get their degree, but, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cool in a way, I think. Well, I like that because it's different. It's maybe it's, it's hypocritical of me to say, but I, you know, I've got a couple of degrees and that's, I'm not boasting because why, what I'm going to say next means <laughs> the ROI on those degrees Right. Isn't really where it should be, but the brand equity, if you will, that you build for yourself by doing things that you enjoy and that you love, and then ultimately becoming around, whether it's a production company, or whether it's as an author, that far, you just have to see the con long enough to know that you'll win, but it just <laughs> takes some time. It's funny. I have, I have a lot of friends who are very well read, very educated with multiple degrees and some of which are actual writers. And I was laughing the other day with my wife and I said, the smart money would not have been on me if you were betting who was the first one to put a book out. Yeah. <laughs> it would not have been on me. 
<laughs> well, I'd much rather re- read about you connecting punk rock bands and songs to cocktails than I would about someone effervescently reflecting on life. You know, like, yeah. at least with the punk and the cocktails, like, we have an experience we can kind of understand. There's a tone there. Yeah, I mean, you get a story about, like, me getting kneed in the head at a Bouncing Soul show. And, <laughs> I mean, and then I make a drink to go exactly. along with that with my experience. <laughs> well, how better to wane off and get rid of all the pain from getting kneed in the head? But so you, as the bar backup, because you're working at the like, Great Southern Whiskey Bar, is that what it's called? Something in mm-hmm. the, you're still there? No, they shut down because okay. of COVID. Um, it's been... It's been tough, honestly, because I loved it there. And I loved the people in that building. I love my boss. I love my staff, my team. It was, and we were really doing something cool there and building that brand. Um, and it shut down and I don't know when it's going to open. Mm. It's been tough, you know, because there was a lot of time whenever there were no jobs available and everything was shut down. So that's when I really kind of took advantage of doing some of this. And I was fortunate enough to, to go and be able to work at some friends bars and they were able to give me, you know, um, you know, part-time here, part-time there. You kind of like filling in, filling in the gaps, uh, while you wait on something more permanent to open up or the whiskey bar to open up as it yeah. were. But who knows when that's going to be. We, you, you heard, you know, Greg Abbott announced that as of next week, next Wednesday, that masks are no, no, no longer required. And it, mm-hmm it really, really struck a nerve, rightfully so, but it struck a nerve with everybody in the industry here. Because if you want to put yourself in the front of risk, that's, that's kind of your call, right? But don't put me in a situation, you know? So it's, it's kind of interesting, but, but the hopeful piece is that I see so much unity in the industry and making sure that we can kind of balance serving some people with masks, but not everybody without masks and not everybody with masks. So do you kind of remain optimistic about maybe a near-term slight opening in Ohio? I'm not sure how you guys are faring with COVID. Yeah, well, um, I am optimistic, just but mainly because the vaccines seem to be getting out there. Yeah. Um, we had a curfew in place that was just recently lifted, so we're back to normal hours. Really? What was the curfew? It was a 10 o'clock curfew, and then they wow. moved it, I think, to 11, whereas like, it was 10 o'clock hard 10 o'clock where you had to be, people had to be out of your establishment by 10. Wow. And then it changed a little bit to, well, they can stay up to 11, but you have to do last call. And now it's, um, I think it's just back to normal now, which is nice. Yeah. Um, that's a step in the right direction. I have not met any bartenders and I don't know any bartenders that are not adamant about wearing masks when they're working, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And it sucks. You know what I mean? It's like they have to wear a mask if you're working a long shift for eight, nine, 10, 11 hours. That's yeah, not pleasant. But you know why you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, if I walked into a bar and the bartender was not wearing a mask, I would turn around and I would leave. Because to your point, you know, the mask, wearing the mask protects others. And I think I read somewhere, and I don't remember who it was. I wish I remember who said this, but the biggest mistake we made as, as a society was telling everyone that the mask protects other people. Because a lot of people, you know, and, and, I don't, and I don't mean to get too, too deep or too controversial here, but a, a lot of people tend to be selfish and they say, well, I don't want to wear the mask and I'm not going to wear the mask. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's, dude. it's not about you. I hear, I hear people say, well, you know, it, it's so, it shows how ill-informed so many people are. You hear people say, and I hear this all the time from different people and it blows my mind just being out and about. Um, well, you know, it should be an individual's right whether or not they wear a mask. Well, no. 
Um, that's like saying if you're smoking, you can and you can blow the smoke in a non-smoker's face. You know what I mean? Oh, it's my choice that I want to smoke. It affects other people around you. Yeah. You know what? It, it's, it's I dude, I totally get well, it's self-centeredness. Yeah. And what does and you know this is gonna come full back around. What drives self-centeredness often? Money, yeah. ego. And what possesses the biggest sense of ego and money? Establishment, hence why punk rock anti-establishment. <laughs> <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> I mean, you know, Greg Graffin from Bad Religion has been singing about mass deaths for years because of our greed and our self-centeredness and our just inability, our arrogance, you know? Yeah. It's really, really strange. But just, you know, just talking about you as a person and how you're feeling, because all of us are having a shared experience ultimately being stuck at home. Now, there's some stuff kind of opening. But I'm sure that you're well-read to, to whatever degree you want to call that. But punk rock is a good series of roots and education. It really is, to, to, in my opinion. How do you feel about people just debating whether this table is made of wood or not? <laughs> you get my point? Yeah. It's, it's tough. It's, um, it, it's turning something political that should just be about human kindness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, dif- it's difficult. I think we would have all, had we, had we just hunkered down and gotten through this and, and looked out for one another and cared about one another a little bit more from the get-go, we would probably be back to somewhere closer to normal. Mm-hmm. I'm sick and tired of hearing people complain about, well, I don't want to go to the new normal. I want normal. Well, wear your damn mask. Right. Wear your damn mask if you don't want to go to a new normal and you want it to be like it used to be. Yeah. And when's you the know, last time you yeah. fell in a pit and someone didn't pick you up? Man, I, brother, they, I can't remember because, you know, we're, we all look out for each other in the punk scene. Exactly. I've never, I've never gotten intentionally hurt at a, at a punk show. Never. And I've seen you know, people get the shit beat out of them at a metal show. <laughs> <laughs> Great but point. I've I've seen I've seen some pretty heavy bands and and you know pretty heavy punk bands, hardcore bands, and the sense of community, the sense of camaraderie, looking out for each other. You know. Yeah. Well, um, that's that's why it's important, and I think that that's why the sentiments of punk rock, which have have shifted, maybe not the ideologies or the tenets, but the sound has obviously shifted. Sure. sure. But. In that, with respect to this, when did you know this was the concept, this was the pitch for the book, Punk and Cocktails? Your two, your duality, if you will. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that was always the concept. I just didn't know it. There was, no, there was never any other, any other way because I, I have a lot of people in my life that support me and believe in me. And that means the world uh, to me to have that support system. And they've been encouraging me for some years now to write a book, mm-hmm. write a book, write a book. And I would always say, nobody will care. Why would they care about my book? Um, and then I just got to thinking about it. You know, you hear, write a book, write a book, write a book. You should write a book, blah, 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 blah. And finally I started to buy into it a little bit. Okay. I'm going to do it. Even if nobody cares, mm-hmm. it'd be a cool thing to do, you know, to have, to have a, that, that tangible item in my hand that I created this, that'd be a cool thing. Even if I, even if I have to self publish it, so be it. So I started thinking, why will people care? What can I do? Um, 
It's got to be this cool niche. There's got to be something that I haven't seen anybody else do. It's not to say nobody has ever done this because I'm sure somebody's probably done something similar to this somewhere out there, but I hadn't seen it. Um, and it just started, I started writing about it. The first bands I, I wrote about was Lucero and the Bouncing Souls. And it just oh, kind of, really? yeah, it just kind of just came out and, and just my experiences with it. And I didn't want to go on. It was too long. It was finding the balance between telling a little bit about the story, but also equally focusing on the cocktail. And it just sort of came together. Um, and I tweaked it and I tweaked it and I tweaked it. Um, you know, I reached out to all of the bands in the book to get their permission to be in the book, to use their, their name and their likeness and their artwork. And the feedback that I got from some of the bands was like, Oh my God, this is such a cool idea. Amazing. So I started really believing in myself. I mean, if, if Henry Rollins emails me back and tells me like, yeah, go for it. That's awesome. You know, I'm like, all right, that's, that's, that's cool. There's something there, you know, like, um, you know, Ken from the Dropkick Murphys was super into it and supportive and Tom from the Menzingers. And it was like, Oh my God, some of these, some of these guys are, they're, they're actually into this idea. Maybe there's a market for it after all. Yeah. Maybe people will care about this book. Um, because if you don't know who I am and you're in California, why do you care? But you know who these bands are and maybe you like the concept, you know? So that's what I started thinking about. What's the concept? And then it just sort of came together. It just came together. Stories and creating cocktails for these, for these bands. Because, because that's something that, you know, music's always inspired me to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, in my different avenues of careers through my life. And I, I've, I've made cocktails for, you know, based on bands and, and things. And it just sort of naturally came once I really, once I decided that this was going to be the, the concept, it just came pouring out. And I, I, can't wait to get started on volume two. <laughs> what, how long did it take, you think, from um, pencil to page? Probably about six months. That's pretty good. Actually. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I probably could have got it done quicker, but there was a small period of time where I, I was almost done and I just couldn't finish it. Mm. I couldn't quite you know, dot that last I and cross that last T. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I think it was just nervousness and fear that, all right, I'm really going to put myself out there. It, you know what I mean? Like, okay, I'm doing this. I'm putting this out there once this is done and people are going to, they're going to either embrace it or they're going to, they're going to negatively judge it. But I had to get past that. You know, like if you're, when you're, if you're doing something and you're putting yourself out in the public eye, well, at any level, there's going to be, pros and cons to that. And some people are going to love it and some people aren't. And I had to just finally power through and finish, you know, sanding down the rough edges and um, got it published by a publishing company here in Columbus. And they're, they're super excited about it. Some of the bands have been posting about it. Oh man. There's a lot of traction. Um, and it's cool. It's, uh, it's been very well received so far. It's only been out. I mean, I haven't even done the official book release party yet. That's this month. And so it's only really been out for a week. And uh, it's been selling really well on Amazon and through the through the uh, the publisher's website, which is really and cool. It, it, I looked at the pictures with you posing and signing. Is it the full size of an LP? Am I understanding this correctly? Almost, almost. Okay, it, because it looks roughly. It is. I, I wanted to get as close as possible to that, so it's eleven and a half by eleven and a half. It's oh, nice. very very close. So when you open it up, you're seeing a full page of the album cover. So it's almost like you're looking at the record. It's pretty cool. That's right. Yeah. It's such, a, it's such a cool concept. And I think in the face of, of unprecedented loneliness, 
on being uninspired, like all these things that are negative, I've seen so much good come out of it, you know, and I've seen so much creativity come out of it. And I think that whatever the roaring 2020s will be, <laughs> if it's a hundred year cycle, you know, I think we're going to see something like that. But another thing for that I've noticed that, you know, I was reading about you, you try to give back to the community as well. And how long have you been in, in Columbus now or Ohio? Cause I count all the years. Cause I know you spent some time in college there too. Yeah. I mean, I spent, I mean, half my life ultimately in in Ohio, you know? Um, so, but we've been back here. We've been back, um, I guess three years now. Hmm. Does that sound right? Three years. <laughs> this last year has been crazy. So about three and a half, about three and a half years. We've been, we've been um, in Columbus with my wife and myself and yeah, it's been, it's been great to be back. Um, that's something that I try to do. It's, it's a unbelievable blessing for me to be able to use, um, you know, what I do and as a way to give back and try to raise money for charities that are important to me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it be St. Jude's, you know, we've done stuff with St. Jude's and toys for tots and the prostate cancer foundation and just raising money for cancer research in general. Those are things that it's, it's so, so humbling and so rewarding to think that because I can mix some ingredients together for a drink that can somehow raise money to do good. It's unbelievable to me. And I will never turn down an opportunity to, to do a charity. I hope to do something to raise money for some local animal shelters in the future. I'm talking with some people about doing that, you know, because dog, dogs are, the best people. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they absolutely so, are. I appreciate you, you know, bringing that up, man. That's, that's, um, it just means a lot that, uh, I'm afforded that opportunity to do those things. It's, it's special. Yeah. When it right now is about more than us. Yeah. You know, a yeah. lot more, you know, to get a little bit lighter, a couple questions left for you, but what is the most punk rock spirit? Now, this could include Amari, but I'm just curious what you might find flavor-wise that would align to punk rock mentality. Let's go. Okay, let's go. I want to go political, heavy, airy, DC style punk. So Bad Brains, Minus Threat, GI a little bit later. Okay, nice, nice. Um, I would say probably, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bourbon lover through and through, mm-hmm. but maybe tequila. Oh, you think? And I'm, and I'm going to tell you why I'm going to yeah. tell you why, because there's, there's so many different ways that you can do tequila. You can do your Blanco, you can do your Reposado, you can do your Añejo, and they're all unique individual experiences. And I think it's really punk rock in, in the way that, you can have your, it's almost subgenres of tequila, like that, you know, and then if you want to go, if you want to go, you know, mezcal, that's a whole nother thing. Um, So I I know it's not associated with that scene, but if I'm thinking something that I think represent represents it, I think I'm going to go tequila. That's interesting. I like that. I like that a lot because the subgenre thing is, it's a huge bit of the discussion. Are you East coast, West coast or somewhere in the middle? Well, here's the weird thing. Um, I love that question. The weird thing is that, you know, being born on the East Coast, 
and I, I got a lot of love for those bands, but I, I connected so much at such an early age with the West Coast punk bands. Yeah. The gang, the gang vocals and the woes and the yes, and like you're going to have these amazing melodic bass solos and, or intros to the song. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I, I love the Bad Religion, Pennywise, uh, Rancid, you know, oh. Offspring, you know, all those guys out there. And just, uh, I probably have more favorite bands on the list that are West Coast SoCal punk than anything, which is it's- crazy. It, I, I think it's interesting. Bad Religion, all-time favorite for me. Minor Shred, I didn't like Fugazi, but that's different. They get all heady and intellectual, right? So things kind of change. But all right, so we're going to talk about two other things. Hit me. You've got a huge affinity for Bruce Springsteen. I know a lot of people do. And I know there's some fond memories of you being at a Bruce Springsteen show when your parents met your now wife. Is that the story? Yeah. Yeah, you did. You you did some like legit research. Very, I'm my best, very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, man. Like so, Bruce. You know, is is where it all started with music. Um, you know, my dad was a huge Springsteen fan, and you know, he he during the time whenever Springsteen broke uh, was during the time that my mom and dad were dating. You know, oh. out living in New Jersey, and um, you know, it was it, they were they were living out there when this happened before Springsteen was cared by anybody other than the people that were living out there in the boardwalk in Asbury Park. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And uh, it, it was a really it was special for me, the music uh, of Springsteen in general, because riding around with my dad, listening to those records, listening to him at the house, you know, in the car, wherever we're going. And, and his music was always the, the soundtrack. It was always mm-hmm. in the background, among other artists as well. But it was Bruce. And I went through a phase where when I first got into punk, where I, I wasn't listening to Springsteen anymore because he wasn't punk and he didn't, he didn't make me feel tough, you know, and all that nonsense. Um, and then I started reading about Springsteen's affinity for The Clash and, and some of those bands that were big when he was doing his thing back in the day and how he really loved those bands. Uh, and I realized probably in a, at some point in my teenage years that Springsteen, like, he's got, obviously his music is a punk rock, but there's some real similarities with the rawness and the authenticity of his lyrics and some of those early albums. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of came full circle for me. So it's an interesting thing for people to, to hear that, yeah, like, Jesse loves punk rock, and if they know me, that's, no, that's you know, of course, of course, yeah. And somebody meet me for the first time, from, like, what's your favorite band? Like, oh, well, my favorite artist is Bruce Springsteen. Wait, I thought you were in the punk rock. All right, now we're going to sit here and talk about it for hours because I'm going to tell you how it all kind of interconnects. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can say that about other artists as well, but is Springsteen really that different from, from Joe Strummer, ultimately? Uh, you know what I'm saying? I do, yeah. Um, or Johnny Cash, for that matter. And there's this weird, like, wait a minute, now you're bringing country into it. But it's, that brings it back to me about... Um, a school of thought and a way that you live your life as opposed to a sound of the music or a uniform that you have to wear. That's what yeah. punk rock is to me. It's just, it's just being true to yourself in, in the face of adversity or in spite of what's cool or popular, just being authentic, you know, and Dude, is the definition of that for me. For sure. For, and I know this is going to sound cause they're not tough, but I got two people that I've, because I'm not, because I'm a, I'm a music guy and I've been playing for so long and I really love musicality and stuff. And Springsteen is this guttural clash-like, although I do like Clash's music ultimately better than, but I get what you're saying as performers. But, you know, Billy Joel was a boxer. He had a lot of aggression. 
he was always feeling like an outsider and his music was a strange disparity between the man himself writing words on the page and how it was delivered and very, very mm-hmm. halcyon pop melodies, you know? So I find for me, Billy Joel is that guy. I, and I get that. I get that. You know, like I, I, when I was a kid, Billy Joel was another one of those artists that was played yeah. and, and, and where I don't hold him in quite as high regard as I do Bruce. Um, I've got love for Joel. I, I think he's, he's brilliant. He's a brilliant musician. Yeah. And that's the thing you get to a point where you realize in, in adulthood, it doesn't matter if the music makes me feel tough or look tough. I'm going to like what I like. Once you get to that point, it opens up a whole new world of stuff. You know, I, 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 you know, I love, I love Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings. You know, it doesn't, yeah. it, people are like, what the hell? I like it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I like Kid Cudi and, and yeah. Kendrick Lamar too. But it's just, it's not about, you know, cultivating this image anymore. It's just being true. But you said two artists. I want to hear the well, other. The, well, Phil Collins, man. I'm telling you, people yeah, okay. hate on Phil Collins. They hate, they hate on him so much. And I feel so bad for him because he's been divorced like four or five times. He's losing <laughs> his sight. But he he was he just did it for him. He didn't give a shit. He's wearing khakis and a tucked in polo. He didn't care. Yeah. You know, but it's just not exactly what we find to be the bite size and easy to digest identity of punk rock. It's no Phil Collins is another one. Peter Gabriel was always the cooler guy from from that band. Yeah. He's because of, because of the videos and the weirdness. But you talk about the khakis. And I want I want to share this with you real quick. I thought this is funny. I remember years ago, a buddy of mine and myself, we were uh, at a Rancid show. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just, you know, wearing our, you know, t-shirt and jeans, you know, like whatever, like, you know, our, our chucks just kind of wearing what we wear. Um, but it, it was, it fit in with the crowd. You know, we weren't like decked out in like spikes, but we fit in with the crowd. Yeah. There's a few guys in front of us and they were wearing, uh, khakis and polos. Uh, and they, they didn't give a shit and they were older. Yeah. And I remember, I remember, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. You know, because there's some people there who was kind of judging them a little bit. Like, look at these, look at these idiots, look at these nerds. Yeah. And I, I, I remember I, I was talking to the guys and I said, I think it's so cool that you guys could just show up here and be comfortable being yourselves and rocking out to this band that clearly you know all the words to their songs so you're fans. And they said, you know, when we were young, we used to wear the uniform and we used to do that. But now we're married, we have kids and we still love the same bands, but this is how we dress now. And they said, someday... You'll be us, <laughs> and, you know. And, and right now, I mean, you can see I'm wearing a cardigan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm turning into that a little bit, and I think it's kind of cool. I think of those guys a lot um, because they—that was the—they were the most punk rock people at that show to me. It's—it's it's not about what you look like. It's about how you don't give a fuck. You just like what you like, and you show up, and you enjoy it you know that's this is who i am this is what i like exactly now that doesn't mean you should be an asshole to people but (laughs) which which punk rock people were as adults they're like the nicest people you know they're super cordial and super communicative i have to say if if you know the the green mohawk and the studded uh leather jacket is who you are then that's awesome because that's who you are yeah but the, it's the need to dress that way whenever you feel like you're not really being true to yourself, but you're wearing this costume, wearing a uniform. That's the issue, I should say. Yeah, that's it. That's it, exactly. So th- my last question for you, because I don't, you can't say Bruce Springsteen. Okay. As, as the answer to this. But 
<laughs> let's get, you know, let, you know, let's do some Tennessee whiskey. You can't say Merle Haggard either because he was a sponsor for Dickel. But let's say you're saying drinking some Dickel. Okay. So this bottle and bond, maybe that, that Nicole made is incredible. So if you're anywhere in the world, doesn't matter, but you're sipping some Dickel bottle and bond and you're having a conversation. You could have a conversation with anybody living or deceased. Who would you love to sit down and have a nice okay, in, the, in the world of music? Uh, let's keep it amusing, just because that'd be easier. But if you have actors and stuff, I'm I'm fair game for whatever you. Oh, man, that is hard. Just one, huh? Yeah. So you could do a band, I guess, if you wanted. Yeah. Um. It would probably. It would probably have. It would be Johnny Cash, probably. Oh yeah. I, I can't. I mean, somebody. You know, like a, like a band. All right, the Ramones are cool. I would love to see, like, to hang out with some of those guys, but who would be the one that I would choose? Yeah. You know, That's Johnny was kind of an asshole. Joey, Joey was shy, you know. Mm. It's just so... Probably, who has, out of everybody who's passed away, I probably would say Johnny Cash. Yeah. Uh, I'll give you a living as well. Um, I know he doesn't drink anymore, but it would definitely be Rollins if yeah. he drank without it's it. Been a long time since he drank, apparently. Since like 14 or something. <laughs> I'd have a cup of coffee with Henry. Yeah, oh, I'd love it. I think these, you know, it, chatting across hundreds of miles, whether Zoom is satisfying or not, is a completely different conversation. But it's allowed us to connect. And I don't know that without social media, without Instagram and stuff, that we would have been able to have this conversation, which has been incredibly enriching for me. So I really appreciate you taking the time out, Jesse, to talk about your life in this great book, Punk Rock and Cocktails. Yeah, okay. I'm into that. That's great. <laughs> Thank you, man. It's been, it's been great to talk to you. And it just, I forgot that we were doing a show here for a minute. We're just like two guys talking music and it's been cool. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. just kind of normal. I appreciate, I appreciate the hell out of you for that, yeah. man. Uh, it's been great, man. And Well, there we have it. Jesse Hubbard, are you guys excited to read Punk Rock and Cocktails? Bouncing Souls, Henry Rollins, lots of great bands that we both grew up with and I'm sure lots of you are very familiar with. And of course, talks of Bruce Springsteen. I'd love to have a cocktail from a punk rock kid. I know I've had it before, but have I had it in Columbus, Ohio? Jesse, thanks so much for sitting down and chatting. I can't wait to see what you're up to next. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter how elated you are to almost finish an album of 20 songs, or if you're thinking, I'm getting a martini this weekend, I'm going to wear my mask, please keep dancing.